My name is Danae Pierre and I'm here with Frank Switzer. Um, we are part of the Surge Network and Surge is a network of churches here in Arizona that partner together to put Jesus on display in our cities. And we have a lot of different churches and pastors that are part of uh, this movement and we really um, love to gather and talk about leadership, servant leadership, um, what it means to help equip and train uh, members of our congregation to be sent into um, their vocations and to it, uh, represent Jesus well. Um, and one of the pastors that um, is a uh, part of our city and does a lot of great work is Frank Switzer. And we've gotten to have a lot of great conversations over the last several years. And I always walk away from our conversations wishing it would have been recorded because there's so much fun stuff that I'd love to share with other pastors. And so Frank, would you just start by maybe telling us a little bit about yourself and your background and kind of what, what your ministry context is like? Sure. I, I uh, did not grow up in the church. Uh, God saved me when I was 27 years old and um, uh, spent another uh, six or seven years after that in the marketplace. I've, I've always been a businessman and in the restaurant and retail industries uh, for many, many years. And then um, circumstances changed. I was able to uh, leave my work, leave the marketplace in that capacity, go back to school, um, get my seminary degree, Master of Divinity from Fuller, and then go to Arizona State University and get a Master of Arts in Human Communication Theory, and and then go into uh, full-time vocational ministry. So I've been a pastor for about 18 years now vocationally, and um, I also teach communication at Paradise Valley Community College as an adjunct instructor for the last 17 years. Great. Well, there's a lot of different topics that we could jump into that we've talked about over the years, but one of the things that I keep coming back to really being encouraged by the work that you're doing um, is related to social media and kind of what, the, what does that look like for the Christian, um, and particularly as pastors and church leaders are trying to help um, form disciples. This is such a significant part of a lot of, especially young people's uh, daily interaction in life. And so, um, you know, I know there's a lot being written right now and published really critiquing uh, technology and social media, and there's a lot of good stuff there. But we also know that uh, this is something that is a gift from God, and it's part of um, the creative imagination and innovation to be able to um, advance in technology and find different mediums to express yourself and think through things. And so we want to just have a conversation for the next 15 minutes or so um, about what this looks like. And I wanted to start by reading a quote that you actually shared with me. Um, the church's true calling in a technological society is to do the slow, difficult work of embodying God's love one soul at a time. Embodied love is a profoundly inconvenient, painful, and even excruciating, a word we get from the Latin for cross. But the opposite of love is not hatred, it is efficiency. So I'd love for you to, you know, just that thought of the opposite of love is efficiency, to maybe just start with some of your initial thoughts on this um, as you've given thought and kind of even worked with some of your own pastoral staff and what it looks like to engage in social media as a Christian. Yeah, it's, it's a really complex area and it's an area that uh, easily invites a lot of criticism without any encouragement and uh, discipling on what to do in the face of the challenges it presents. And that quote you just read from Reed Shuchart, who is a communication professor at Wheaton, I think he has the right idea. He, he's acknowledging the reality of the challenges of social media, just like there are challenges in many other realms of life. But he's also calling the church to understand that we can't shirk our responsibility and we can't run from the reality, but rather we need to seek 
the character of God to be able to meet the demands of reality and, and uh, use social media with discernment uh, and, and caution, but, but nevertheless live in the reality that we're going to have social media around for a very long time. Digital communication is not going to go away. And I'm old enough to, uh, to remember the days when we didn't have this, and this would have been like you know science fiction mm. if you had told me as a child that we were going to have a world like this. I, you know, I, I memorized phone numbers as a seven-year-old and, and had a rotary phone. And those are, those are completely uh, obscure uh, understandings to most people today. And so um, I'm not trying to go back to that world, don't want to go back to that world. The conveniences and the joy of today far outweigh what, what we used to live in. Nevertheless, there's, there's always there are always challenges with progress. Yeah. So we have to figure that out. Yeah. So I'd love for you to talk a little more. You know, I, I let you bring up your age first. Um, you know, a lot <laughs> of the pastors we work with um, in our network are in their 30s, probably, probably mm -hmm. the average age of pastors. Um, and you're not by any stretch of the imagination close to retirement. So right. it's just that we happen to be in an industry that's very young. Right. Um, and one of the things that I think hurts some of the pastoral vocation is how isolated we are generationally and how mm -hmm. we tend to flock to other leaders and thinkers that are similar age and generation. So I'd love for you to maybe just share um, having, having some of that perspective of having pastored when social media and even email was not the right. main form of communication to now pastoring when, you know, you get those thoughts fired off at you right mm -hmm. away. Just, yeah, share some of your observations, um, some of the, the real things we have to think through and also some of the strengths and liabilities that you see with that. That's funny you mention email because I remember a time in ministry when email was the bane of my existence and now it really isn't anymore. So that's actually been a good thing. Huh. Um, because uh, we can communicate in so many other ways that are actually more efficient even than email. Yeah. Um, so it's just funny to me that you mentioned that. Yeah. Nevertheless, it gets replaced with um, new forms of digital communication that can e even be more inflammatory. Um, one of the challenges of, of digital communication, and older people like me understand this so much better than younger people, and this is maybe one area where they need counsel is that research into digital communication has shown that that anytime you have a a screen of some sort a phone a pad a laptop mediating your communication in other words it sort of stands in between you and the person you're communicating with there's something called the disinhibition effect in other words all of your inhibitions are lowered mm -hmm. and you actually are willing to engage uh, with um, language and vernacular and say things to the other person through uh, digital media that you would never say to a person in person. Hmm. And so that becomes one of the challenges. Our inhibitions are lowered and we say things that we ultimately do regret. Um, people from a different generation tend to understand that a little bit better because younger generations have been raised with digital communication and don't quite understand that maybe from an experiential point of view. So that's, that's certainly one of the challenges. Uh, the other challenge that I would mention now that I think digital media or, or social media and digital communication allow us to press into that is not healthy is that uh, I've been reading research now that says that we are the most uh, generationally segregated culture in history. Hmm. Uh, and the reason is because, uh, part of the reason is because social media creates these echo chambers 
generations tend to have the same passions, the same visions, the same understandings of the world. And so it's just easier to sort of hang out mm -hmm. either in cyberspace or in person with people of your own age. Mm -hmm. And that, that generational segregation is not good for the church. It's not biblical. The Bible calls us to be intergenerational for sure. But second of all, the, the, the consequential social research is that they are showing a correlation between generational segregation and increased levels of anxiety and depression. Hmm. That's, that's a challenge. And social media is a part of that. It's not the whole reason that's happening, but it is, it is something that facilitates that. Hmm. So we have to be aware of that too. It's interesting that you talk about the segregated nature because I think a lot of the, some of the strengths of social media is that you are having yourself come in contact, or at least there's a perception that you're coming in contact with lots of different types of people, other, other parts of the yes. world that you wouldn't necessarily come in contact with. Which is wonderful. And yet, without the, um, the embodiment that we kind of talked about in that first quote that we read, yeah. without being present with each other, over time, one controversial issue after the other, you tend to choose a following more and more like you. Um, so a right. lot of it is, yeah. you know, things are, things are said that are controversial, people are unfriended or unfollowed. Um, there's not the maturity to work through, you know, right. how do I engage this person as a brother in love that I have to show up and have a meal with every Sunday. Right. Um, and so just the, the way in which we sometimes perceive that social media allows us to have diversity of relationship when re in reality, it allows us to feel really, really um, good about our perspective, thinking it's the majority perspective, even yeah. if it's not. You know. Yeah. In Tony Ranke's most recent um, book, uh, he said that right now he believes one of the greatest gifts that church gives to people is uh, uh, awkwardness and vulnerability in person. Because hmm. we don't have that yeah. when we're being mediated by a screen hmm. and through digital media. Hmm. He said you need to show up for church on Sunday morning because that awkwardness that you feel and the vulnerability you feel, that's actually a gift. Hmm. That's good. That's yeah. great. Talk a little bit about um, being a receiver-oriented culture. Um, you know, that's something that I, when you first talked through it with me, had never even crossed my mind. Um, and and, and as it really resonated as far as, um, you know, as you know, the, most people listening are pastors or church leaders. You know, it's not that you don't want to just communicate. You want to communicate in a way that can be heard. We want people right. to be formed more into the image of Jesus. And so we can say the right words all day long, and it's not heard. And this... Um, this teaching that you've done on being receiver-oriented was really helpful. So would you mind just kind of unpacking some of that right. a little bit? Uh, generally speaking, culture in the United States is what's known as a receiver-oriented communication culture. That means that the person receiving the communication is the one who ultimately gets to decide what it means. They get to apply meaning and decide on the interpretation of the message, which on its surface, and even if you go deeper, sounds inherently unfair to the one doing the communicating. How, how often have you been misunderstood, and how often have you said, that's not what I meant, that's not what I intended, and it, didn't, it doesn't seem to matter that that's not what you meant and not what you intended. And the reason is because we've sort of decided by default that the audience, the receivers of the communication, they get to decide what it means. And so, um, in rhetoric, we study not just the text of a communication, and by that I mean anything that communicates, so a speech or interpersonal communication or even you know, a t-shirt and what it says, a bumper sticker. The text of a communication, we also study the text behind the text. Mm. What is the worldview, the philosophy, and the thought process, and even the theology going on behind that communication event? 
But what we're talking about here then is the text in front of the text. How is the audience receiving that? What are they gonna think? How are their experiences, their demographics, their ethnicity, their culture, how is that going to influence and color how they're gonna receive a communicative message from the person speaking? It's not uncommon on a Sunday morning uh, after I've preached to be told that they, by somebody that they were offended by something I said and that was never my intention and I never, I never meant for them to receive whatever it was it to, to be offensive. I will also tell you, it's amazing how many times somebody will walk up and thank me so much for something that I said and then they'll repeat it to me and I'll walk away and say, I don't, I never said that. <laughs> so it works both ways, but we have to, we can't just communicate and not expect that people are going to receive that communication and interpret it in ways that aren't favorable That's to good. us. That's just a truth. That's great. Well, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about is social media might be new, but words are certainly are not. And right. scripture has so much to say about the words we speak, or in this case, type um, and wisdom. Talk a little bit about if you could impart some wisdom to pastors to, as they think through the words that they enter through social media, what would some of that be? The there's a very large challenge here to, uh, in my opinion, because you, you don't want to offer so many cautions and so many restrictions that suddenly they're all tied up and they can't communicate mm -hmm. uh, or they, they're not as effective as they might be. Um, but I think one of the biggest challenges is really just how easy it is to quickly fire something out there. There, there needs to be a filter, a count to 10 process, or maybe a count to 100 process. Mm -hmm. um, there has to be some deliberation, even some prayer. Um, one of our colleagues, Jim Mullins, um, he, he can show us a file of posts that never got posted. And that file is a hundred times the size of things that he's actually put on social media because he very faithfully works through what he's going to put out there yeah. and then is willing also to acknowledge that this may, uh, this may start something with somebody that I'm going to have to go deeper with. Mm -hmm. And he's willing to do that. He recognizes when he posts something that this may take a while mm -hmm. to start to clear up. He's willing to do that. A lot of pastors are surprised when they post something very quickly that they think is wonderful and the next thing you know, they're spending 30 hours cleaning it up. Right. That's a challenge and that's a problem. But, but again, I, I'm so reticent about this because the last thing I want to do is tie people up and keep them from posting. How do you guard against or think through the ways in which social media can kind of feed this idea that I need to have an opinion on everything? Uh, I think, first of all, um, if this is a really complex issue again. Uh, there is a need for every human being to be loved and to be affirmed. And social media offers a way to be able to do that. Um, there's that, you know, um, Simon Sinek is citing all the research now about the dopamine effect of, you know, you get a like or you get a retweet or you get a a heart or whatever it is and your phone dings and you mm -hmm. love to look at it and then you go back and look at it again mm -hmm. it's actually a chemical mm -hmm. dependency that mm -hmm. is a that is really is a problem and and all of us have this need for affirmation 
uh, Tom Parker at Fuller, we were just talking about him. He, you know, in my opinion, he's famous for saying we're all affirmation addicts and mm -hmm. we need to be careful of that. So that is a challenge. And then also the fact that you said pastors are kind of expected to have an opinion on a lot of things, including things that they have no idea what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And social media has sort of exacerbated that as well. You also have entertainers in Hollywood mm -hmm. who have an opinion about things that they don't know anything about, right. but because they have this public gravitas, mm -hmm. they get to say something. Yeah. And so when it comes to pastors, I think that number one, we have to be uh, willing and humble enough to say to somebody, I haven't thought deeply about that and therefore I don't, I'm not prepared to answer that. And, and then even discern at that point, is it something you need to spend time thinking deeply about and having an opinion about? There are some things that we don't need to have an opinion about. Mm -hmm. But if it's something related to scripture, certainly, we, we should, uh, even if we're not prepared in the moment, we should eventually speak into that. And so that is, a, that is a think, I think, a call and part of the job. So we have to do that. Mm -hmm. Being able to figure out how to do that well, because we have so many different ways and channels to be able to communicate to each other, that, that is one of the big challenges. Um, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not on Facebook. I just know from experience that if I was on Facebook, I wouldn't get any of my primary work done. <laughs> um, Twitter has been valuable to me because it exposes me to things that I would not get exposed to in the first place. So I find that very valuable. But of course, I also see the downside of Twitter. Um, the fact that people feel like they can be angry and rage um, sort of in an out-of-control way. And, and the number of times that I have actually gone to start a tweet and then thought better of it and pulled back, and I think that that's, again, one of the things that we have to be willing to do. Um, but it's also through social media that you get a lot of requests for your opinion on things yeah. that you literally would not get in person. Right. They won't ask you in person, right. but they will, they feel fine asking you through social media. Mm -hmm. So again, you have to sort of strain that through the, the lens and the grid of who God is. The lens being the vision of who God is and, and what his vision is of the creation and who you are. Mm -hmm. And then the grid of who God is, his character uh, that, is, that is being filled up in you by the Holy Spirit and transforming you. Mm -hmm. So you actually have to look at these things through the lens and the grid of who God is. And we get that through scripture and through prayer. This takes time and it yeah. takes deliberation, it takes wisdom, it takes discernment. Mm. And yeah. so, again, let's engage, but let's, be, let's do it with great biblical wisdom. Yeah, yeah what I love about that is while you know, pastors might not be experts on uh, the marketplace or necessarily uh, economic or foreign policy, or they might not be hydro engineers, you know, there's all these mm -hmm. things that pastors somehow end up having to weigh in on. Um, or are asked to weigh in on that are out, really outside their field of expertise. Right. What we are called to do is to walk patiently alongside our members um, and invite them to follow Jesus. Yeah. And as they're following Jesus, growing their love of God and neighbor, the, that's where we can really speak to the tone of how things are done. Um, really, like really challenge like where um, where is love and affection for Christ and for his creation driving the things that are being said, the things that are being done. How are we shaping people to be listeners and learners of others? Um, and and I, one of the things I really do appreciate about social media is how exposing it is to where our people are at. And so, you know, when, when there's something that happens that exposes a lot of just sin and gunk on Facebook, 
a lot of times I'm really thankful for the opportunity to say, you know, I, I thought we were in a different place than we are. Um, and yet, you know, I think sometimes it really helps bring greater humility to, yeah. you know, the sense of, you know, we're advancing, we're progressing, we're growing. The reality, like we are really, really broken, broken people in desperate need of God's grace, love, and mercy. And one of my hopes and prayers um, for our leaders in this city is as we continue to press in, that we'd be less and less discouraged by where people are at and more and more committed and faithful to journeying with them and continuing to call them to the hard path of discipleship and following Jesus. I'm sorry, this is so cliche, but yeah. preach it, sister. Yeah. <laughs> I could not have said that better. Um, I, I hope I don't get this attribution wrong of the quote, but I think it was Kim Cash Tate who wrote a couple of years ago that we are the worst version of ourselves on social media. Mm. And if we remember that before we actually go on social mm. media, that can be helpful. But even in the midst of that, mm. um, what you just said, the, the patient, humble, gentle willingness of a shepherd, which mm. we're called to proclaim, mm. but we're called a shepherd, of a shepherd willing to do the hard work and take the time of embodied ministry alongside our people. Uh, I think that this also is good news in that um, there are so many pastors who are pastoring churches of 100 to 300 people who think that they don't matter because mm -hmm. they don't pastor large churches. Mm -hmm. I think we maybe we're entering an age where they matter more than anybody because yeah. they're the ones who are really on the front line. I'm not discounting the work that large right. church pastors do. There's a place for those too, right. and they're pastors to pastors, right. and that's really important too. Right. But there is, there is absolutely nothing wrong with it. And in fact, it is great. It is mm. the vision of the kingdom mm. that you have shepherds all over every city mm. walking alongside their flock. Mm. That is so important. Amen. And all right, well, Frank, thanks so much for being with us. And uh, we're praying for Redemption Arcadia and your work here and appreciate all that you do to serve Jesus and his kingdom. Thank you, Danae. Same right back at you. Appreciate your leadership as Surge and thanks for the opportunity to talk.